thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food real with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. In episode 169 of The Real Food Real, we are joined by Sahara Rose. Sahara is the best-selling author of The Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda and has been called a leading voice for the millennial generation into the new paradigm shift by none other than Deepak Chopra. Ayurveda is a science of life and one of the most sophisticated and powerful mind-body health systems in the world. As a dedicated yogi, I was really interested to learn about this ancient wisdom from a nutrition standpoint, and hopefully parts of this will resonate with you too. In today's episode, you will learn about the origins of Ayurveda, what is a mind-body type, the three energy types, how to identify an imbalance, what to do if any one of your energy types are imbalanced, and how to take the key Ayurvedic principles into your modern life. If you would like to know your mind-body type before listening to the show, hit pause now and go to IamSahararose.com to take Sahara's online quiz. Before we jump in, team, I'll need to ask for your forgiveness. My audio quality is not amazing, but I'm only asking the questions. So hopefully you can get past that and dive into all that Sahara has to share with us. Without further ado, let's welcome Sahara onto the Real Food Reel. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Really excited as well. I'd love for you to... Give us a little bit of information about your story. Certainly feel free to go as far back as you feel comfortable and set us on a path as to what's landed you where you are today. Yeah, so it's amazing. I think everyone who works in wellness has in some way had their own little wellness catastrophe. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. we would not be here. So mine started when I was quite young. Um, I was born to immigrant parents and they would always give me weird rice and stews and things like that. And I really rejected it and um, became addicted to junk food. So I started eating lots of, and I live in the US, so you know, there's endless amounts of sugar and junk food. And even in school, they give you like Domino's pizza and soda for lunch. So became really addicted to that and eventually um, got asthma and really bad allergies. So I couldn't play outside as a kid. I was indoors all the time. And that just made me gain more weight and be just sort of like unhappy and not connected with with other children as much. Um, And then when I started middle school, I became really self-conscious about my body. And I had heard that yoga is a practice that could help you lose weight. I had read it in like Cosmo magazine that Jennifer Aniston does it or something. I was like, okay, I'll do it, anything. So I went to my first hot yoga class when I was 12 years old, had no idea what to expect. And as I was doing it, I mean, I really didn't know what was going on, but I, I loved it. I loved just feeling connected to my body and not wanting to run away from it. And I had this 
this notion in my mind that exercise meant like gym class at school. And I saw that it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. So I start practicing yoga. I start reading more about Vedic texts and reading books by people like Deepak Chopra and stuff when I was super young. And that sort of set me off on this path. And um, I began traveling to different countries and working in farms and in villages and all sorts of things. And eventually, when I was in college, I became a raw vegan because I thought that would be the pinnacle of health. What could be better than only eating raw foods? So I became a raw vegan. And at first, I was really happy with it. I felt a lot of energy and I really felt like I had figured out the answer to health. Um, and then after about eight months, I lived in Boston, which is a very, very cold place. And I was noticing that I, I couldn't sleep at night because I was so cold, just like shivering cold to a level that I've never felt before. And every time I ate food, even if it was raw foods, my stomach would hurt and get very distended. And I would just lie down on the couch in pain. Like if I, you know, drink coconut water after a meal and I didn't follow this exact food combining thing that I had created for myself. So, it didn't make sense that I was eating so healthy, but still not feeling great. I was very constipated. I was really gassy. I um, would faint at the gym. Um, and I didn't get my period for almost two years. No period at all. So obviously something was going on, but I thought it must be something external, must be parasites, must be candida. I'm just blaming other things and thinking that my diet was the one thing that I had right. So I went to so many doctors, gastroenterologists, endocrinologists, everyone you can imagine, and they told me, oh, well, you just have hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is basically like, oh, you just don't get your period and it's in your mind and we don't know why, so just take birth control pills. And then I was told by gastroenterologists that I had IBS, which is basically like, yeah, you just can't digest food, but we also don't know why and prescribed other medications for that, which just made it worse. And I just didn't really know where to turn. So at the time I was volunteering in India not for Ayurveda, just to, I was actually teaching health and sanitation in the slums and a raw vegan in India, which is just unheard of. And um, I decided it would be a cool time to visit an Ayurvedic doctor because I had heard about it in my um, nutrition studies and thought it was a cool system, but I honestly didn't really think that it would relate to me. I thought it was really archaic. So I thought it was like, oh, maybe it's like an astrologer or something. And I went and the lady was unlike any other doctor experience I ever had before. She's like, so what kind of dreams do you have? Like, are you flying? Are you fleeing, floating? I'm like, why is she asking me about my <laughs> dreams? Like, this is, this is about my digestion. And instantly she knew. She's like, you don't get your period. I was like, uh, like how did she? How could she have ever known that? And she was like, "Oh, you, you too pretty to not have baby. You must have a baby." Like that was her concern. And I was like, "Okay, well, okay." She knew everything. She's like, "You have anxiety. You can't sleep at night. You, your joints must crack a lot. You have really dry skin." Like telling me my life story based off of like the digestive things I had let her know. And then I was like, so what do I, what do I do? I want to fix all of this. And she's like, well, beta, you have to eat the rice and the dal and the ghee. And basically a raw vegan's nightmare. So I was like, okay, Ayurveda is not for me because I'm not eating rice and beans and ghee. And I kind of put it in the back burner. So that year I went back to Google how can I how can I heal myself? I did the elimination diet, the GAPS diet, SIBO diet, anything, any acronym you can mention, I've I've 
I've done it. And it just wasn't working and it wasn't sustainable. Like one of them was like, you have to just eat, drink bone broth soup for like the first year. I was like, I just can't. And it was such a huge step from vegan to just bone broth. So I finally decided, okay, I would, I'll try some of these Ayurvedic things, but make it more modernized. So maybe instead of rice, I'll use quinoa. And instead of ghee, I'll use sesame or coconut oil. And instead of like heavily cooking something for hours, I'll just lightly cook it. So sort of adapting this ancient and modern um, information. And I felt so much better, not just physically, but mentally. Like I didn't realize it's not normal to take four hours to sleep at night. It's not normal to have to listen to like five guided meditations on how to relax. I realized that it's not normal to like have to block out an hour after meals because your stomach hurts so bad and that you're supposed to have a sex drive. That's something that totally was bye-bye for me. And just really feeling alive again. My prana, my life force was was back. And I finally eventually got my period back. So I was like, okay, there's so much to this. So I want to learn everything about it, but still adapt in my own modern way. So I ended up living in India for two years. I studied Ayurveda. I graduated from Ayurveda school and I wrote my first book there. And then eventually I wrote The Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, which came out last August and Deepak Chopra wrote the foreword to it. So that was a real, you know, turning of tables. It was crazy. And um, this October, my next book, Eat, Feel Fresh, will be out, which is basically the recipes I use to heal myself. It's a, it's a plant-based contemporary Ayurvedic cookbook. So that's basically my story still in the process. Yeah, amazing. And thank you for sharing that journey because there's so much we can break down in there about you know, your experience and what I want our listeners to take away today. But before we do, I just want some context from you, please. If you could give us like a quick overview of Ayurveda um, and then we'll roll through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Ayurveda is the world's oldest health system. Um, It originated in ancient India over 5,000 years ago, and it's the health system that many others are based off of. So Chinese medicine is actually based on Ayurveda in year 400 AD. Scholars came to India, started learning about it, and adapted into traditional Chinese medicine, which eventually became macrobiotics. It also shifted towards the West. It became something called materias medicas, which was the Greek medical system, and eventually became the Western system, or herbology. The whole, the first concept using herbs to heal our body comes from Ayurveda. Chikitsa, the first surgeries ever come from Ayurveda. So it's very, very ancient. I think of it as like the mother for all health sciences. And what makes it really unique is that it's really focused on digestion. So in Ayurveda, it's not you are what you eat, but you are what you digest. And when you have a strong digestion, everything else works. And if you have a weak digestion, imbalances are going to show up in different ways. And those ways depend on your dosha, which is your unique constitution. Yeah, great. I love that. And it does, I think it's really important to identify how long it's been around for. Obviously, it's a 5,000-year-old practice um, that definitely has that medical origin you know we hear about it very much from a what to put on your plate or uh, maybe how to lose weight I think in in this kind of space or in the year 2018 but obviously 5,000 years ago it was created for quite a different reason would you agree yeah I mean I think 5,000 years ago they 
no one knows exactly who came up with Ayurveda. It was almost like this common knowledge that they created of like, oh, someone's getting sick for this reason. It must be like this. And they start orally passing down this tradition and then writing it. So back then, you know, there were so many diseases that people suffered from that we don't have to face today. Um, but also so many things that they didn't have to worry about that we have to worry about today. So it's, it's interesting to see how kind of tables have turned because they didn't have to, they didn't have GMOs, they didn't have antibiotics and everything in processed foods, but also they probably were dying of smallpox and, and things like that. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Okay. So a dosha is obviously an individual or a unique constitution. So talk to us about the, the each dosha, um, just in terms of a general overview, but then I want to be able to, I guess, get our listeners to try and start to think about where they might sit. Yes. So the word dosha in Ayurveda means energy. So there are three energy types and they're based off of the five elements. So vata is what I like to call wind energy. So it's it's cold, it's dry, it's moving, it has all of the char- characteristics of the wind and it's comprised of air and space elements. Then pitta is the fiery dosha. It's transformative. It's in charge of your digestion, your metabolism. Any process of change is through pitta. It's it's hot in nature. Um, And it's actually comprised of both fire and water elements because those are the two most powerful elements. Like fire can break something down and water can destroy fire. So it's, it's full on. It's powerful. And then kapha is the earthy dosha. So it's calm. It's grounding. It's restful um and it also gives life earth is our sustainer and it's our it's our mother and that's really what kapha energy is like and kapha actually is earth and water so it has both those earthy qualities as well as the flow that the water has so those three doshas are terms that we can use to describe anything we can describe food we can describe the seasons and we can describe our bodies our minds our moods everything, our partners, they're like these cool terms that once you learn about them, you're like going to see your life in the framework of the doshas. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why I love it because it can just apply to anything. So vata, so let's talk about the mind because the mind and body are connected. So vata is airy, it's windy, it's spacey. So um, if I was like, yeah, my friend is really airy, what do you think that they'd be like? Oh, they'd be quite vague and maybe indecisive. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, like airy. It's like they're almost kind of not fully there. Maybe they're thinking about something else at the same time or, you know, they're just float through life. And every time you talk to them, they're working on a new new project, moving to a new place, new identity. They just move with the wind. So mm-hmm. the great thing about this Vata characteristic is when you're airy, you're imaginative, you're creative, you're artistic, you're visionary, you're a big picture thinker. So I like to think of Steve Jobs. Like he is such a Vata because he he was seeing the world in a way that no one ever could have even invented Apple. So that's a really good example of like a Vata big picture thinker. Now on the other side, when there is too much vata in the mind, it can lead to anxiety. You're worrying too much. You're, 
you're not able to control the thoughts in your head. So eventually that wind turns into a tornado. So that's when you become flaky, you start, you know, you're not able to really follow through on the things that you want to do. And that's too much vata, which I see happening so much. This is the imbalance I see the most, especially with health conscious women, because we are always wanting to improve ourselves. We are always looking for that next thing. Like when I discovered Ayurveda, I was so vata because I was like, how can I heal myself? How can I do this? How can I do that? Reading, 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 and not listening to my body, which is which is just vata in essence. And also a lot of the health foods that we think of, like smoothies and salads and kale chips and all those things, they're very vata foods. They're cold, they're dry, they're raw. So they're going to evoke vata within us. So when vata is too much in the body, at least those exact same things physically. So if I was like, oh yeah, I have a lot of air in my digestion, what do you think that would mean? Well, the person will be experiencing a lot of gas, maybe not digesting their food properly. Exactly. So yeah, we literally think of, of, of gas, of bloating, like mm-hmm. your belly is filled up with air. Um, and that's all a sign of too much vata. And then coldness and dryness in the, in the colon would also lead to constipation. It would lead to your menses drying up. So amenorrhea, lack of period is too much vata. There's not enough water. There's not enough fire that you're essentially you're running dry. Um, low sex drive is related to low vata as well. So again, this is another thing I see so many health conscious women suffering from because they're, they go through so many diets and over-exercising and then it's so common for healthy women to not have their periods. Like when I've started talking about this, I see so many people who suffer from this and just don't talk about it. Um, And that's all related to Vata. So in the mind, it's that windiness, anxiety, and in the body, it's the coldness and dryness. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Just before we move on to the other two energy types, why do we separate the mind and body and give them their own sort of, I guess, definition or energy type? Yeah. So in Ayurveda, the mind and the body are interconnected. So if you have the vata mental characteristics, chances are you're going to have the physical character characteristics. But um, there's something and I can talk about more after I just describe the doshas, but it's our prakriti and our vikriti, which is the dosha constitution we were born with and the one that we have today. Mm-hmm. So let's say you live you know, you live in this society, which is a very Vata society that we're on social media and we're multitasking, we're doing a million things. That's going to bring up the Vata in your, in your mind, though it may not bring it up in your body. It's just going to give you an imbalance in the mind. Then let's say you have your, you go on a raw vegan diet, you do a lot of juice cleanses, you're only eating cold foods. That's going to bring it up in the body. So though normally in your, your property as you were born with, they come together, your lifestyle can create imbalances in certain areas. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So it's sort of like genetics, right? You're born with a certain genotype, but your environment can pull the trigger or it can cause a gene to switch on. Exactly. So prakriti is essentially your natural born constitution. It's what's in your DNA. And then vikriti is what's going on today. How have you shifted? And so many things can shift our our dosha constitution from what season it is, what part of the world we live in, where we are, you know, in the course of our lives, even what time of day it is. These are all going to create minor shifts in what's going on in our body. 
Yeah, cool. That makes a lot of sense. Awesome. So let's circle back. So we've defined a Vata body and a Vata mind. And I love that you spoke about what happens when there is too much because obviously it's got to all be about balance. But let's go through uh, Pitta. Yes. So Pitta is the fiery dosha. It's the dosha that gets things done. It's transformation. So so each dosha from a physical perspective is in charge of different things. And Pitta is, is metabolism, digestion, elimination, all processes of change. Whereas Vata is nervous system. So anything related to the central nervous system flow, air, et cetera, is, is vata, transformation, pitta. So people who have a lot of pitta, they mentally are sharp. They are goal-oriented. They set deadlines for themselves. They follow it through. They're very good with schedules. They are natural-born leaders. In their mind, they just see things like a plan, whereas a vata might be like, oh, this is sort of like where I want to be going. They're seeing things more in the in the big picture, like from a time perspective, they're very much in the future, whereas pittas are very much in the now of what needs to be done. They're very pragmatic. They're very realistic people. Um, so that's the really amazing part about pittas. But the flip part is sometimes when you're really, really stuck on your schedule and things don't go your way, you snap and you become fiery and you erupt like a volcano towards everyone that comes across you. So pitta people can be irritated easily. They can get agitated. They can be just angry. You know, we see a lot of especially older middle-aged men who have had long-term pitta imbalances, suppressed anger, suppressed anger, and then it manifests in the body as ulcers, as heartburn, as heart attacks. These are all related to pitta. Pitta creates inflammation in the system. Um, So, so in the body, as I mentioned, it's acidity. So the digestion is called the agni and the digestion is in, is in charge of all transformation. We don't only digest food, we digest thoughts, emotions, people that we come across. So when our digestion is too, is too much, is an excess, we secrete too much stomach acid, everything that goes into our system, we're throwing acid at it. Eventually, it moves up our esophagus, becomes heartburn, create holes in our stomach, which are ulcers. Ulcers, But from a, a emotional and mental perspective, when life doesn't go our way, we, we erupt. We, we basically are throwing acid at life. So it's really interesting to see that correlation and just how much anger and stress can have a physical toll on your body as well. Yeah, for sure. And I'm such a pitta, so I'm laughing here as you define the the, <laughs> the imbalanced pitta mind. What would be a, a really quick strategy that you would suggest to rebalance a situation of either anger or that longer-term manifestation that you mentioned with the acid issues or reflux and ulcers? Mm-hmm. So what pittas really need to do is to cool down. They need to just soothe that digestive fire that's going haywire. So um, like being near water, you know, pittas are naturally drawn to like boot camps and like the most intense exercise ever, CrossFit, power yoga. But what they really need is to maybe take a light walk or go to a yin yoga class or do floor Pilates and really get into those little parts of their body and become much more internal because their energy is very external, right? They're always achieving and moving and going through life, but they sometimes 
you know, because there's not tangible rewards to going inwards. So that's really where the practice is. And once they do that, that's when they really get into their power, when they've mastered the meditation and they can really observe the nuances within. That's when a pizza really becomes embodied. So cooling down um, through the diet as well, lots of leafy greens, mint leaves, um, coconut water, herbs, um, Ayurveda normally does not recommend raw foods because it's in India. And in India, no one can eat raw foods because you'll get sick. But I do believe that raw foods can be safely consumed as long as you can digest them. I don't suggest being 100% raw vegan, but pittas can do a 40% raw diet and that's totally fine with them because they have the digestive capabilities and in fact, it might make them feel a lot better. So whereas a vata of raw foods probably wouldn't be the best solution. So Mm. cruciferous vegetables, anything that cools down the system. And what they really need to avoid is anything that's pungent because that's heating. So tomatoes, onion, garlic, nightshades, um, spices, too much just like anything spicy they need to avoid because all of these things are going to bring up the heat in their body. And the funny thing is we're oftentimes attracted to the foods that throw us off balance because when your body's out of balance, it further craves the foods that knock it off balance. So pittas might be like, oh, but I love tomatoes and garlic and spicy foods and that stuff. But that's actually the worst thing for them. What they really need is, is sattvic foods, which is pure foods, light foods, leafy greens, just steamed vegetables, things that are really simple. And that's going to help cool down the, the fire. Mm, that's so fascinating. But what about if you don't have a pitta dominant body? Does it still, does the food still translate back to the balancing of the mind? Um, so if you just have it in your mind and you don't have it in your body, then follow more of the, the lifestyle suggestions. So do more mm. of the calming activities, meditations. A really good one is pranayama. I don't know if you've practiced that before. Alternative um, nostril breathing. Yeah, I have. Yeah, so something like that. Any like you want to avoid something like a breath of fire, which is going to increase your fire. Doing intense like a Kundalini yoga, that's not that's not what you would need. You would need things that can cool you down, really cleansing breaths, and and of course just staying away from anything that's going to like stress you out. Being able to walk away from it, spending time in nature. If you, I mean, in Australia, there's such beautiful ocean and beaches there, so that would be so medicinal for you. Yeah, beautiful. And no wonder I'm loving my uh, lunchtime barefoot beach walks. <laughs> oh, yes. That's like the best for a pitta. Cool. Well, that makes sense. So obviously that's the mind. So it's more of the lifestyle changes, as you say, certainly exercise and I guess controlling your environment, whereas an imbalanced pitta body obviously then needs to change those those foods, those heating foods and pungent herbs, as you say. Yes, yes. Cool. Excellent. All right. And our final energy type. Yeah. So that's kapha. So kapha people talk a little bit more like this. Ah, they're really in their bodies. They would make great doulas. 
Don't drive me crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. Like, because you're more pits, I'm more vodka. We're like, hurry up. What do you want to say? But that, you know, we all have met kafas. You know, they just gaze in your eyes. I call it like the new age eye gaze. They just gaze in your eyes and heart to heart hug for seven seconds minimum. And they're just so like, they're so in their bodies and they're (laughs) feeling it. But when you're a pit or vodka, you're like, come on, let's get moving. What do you want to do? I know. I actually had a podcast on this morning that I turned off because I couldn't listen to how long this like person being interviewed was taking to actually answer the questions. (laughs) Yeah. So that's a, that's a Kafa personality right there. So Kafa, you know, the earth, like think about the earth, the earth gives us so much. It gives us resources, water, oil, sunlight, everything is coming from earth, but all we do is we take away from it. So Kafa mentally is the same way. So Kafa gives, they are the type of people who put everyone else before them. They have grandmother energy, I like to call it, or Oprah energy, right? Oprah's like, you get a car, you get a car, everyone gets a car. Like, that's so Kafa. They just want to give people things. And grandmothers, they want to take care of you. They want to make sure you're okay. They want to make you soup. They want to massage your head, whatever it is. That's Kafa right there. It naturally wants to give. It actually loves that. It lives for that. But what happens is when you end up just giving, 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 and you're not filling up your own cup, you end up depleted. So Kafas, though they are the type that are always smiling, they're always cool, calm, collected, they're in a good mood, no one would ever guess something's wrong, they are the type that's most likely to suffer from depression. So um, Robin Williams is a really good example of that. He was always making people laugh, always making people happy. He has such a cough of face and cough of body, and we did not know that he was depressed. So that's why it's so important for coughs to take care of themselves. Otherwise, they, they won't have anything left to give. So um, kaphas in their bodies, they tend to, you know, we hold on to tension, trauma, emotions in our bodies. So kaphas tend to gain weight a lot more easily. And a lot of times it's just like tension that they're like storing physically. Um, So they tend to gain weight easily. They tend to gain weight more for women in their hips and their thighs and their lower body. It's very anchored energy. They tend to naturally just be more curvaceous, more, you know, like just a not bigger boned, but definitely just more of a substantial person. Whereas Vatas tend to be more like flaky, twiggy, that like a Steve Jobs or ballerina or marathon runner type body. Pittas tend to be medium to muscular. They gain muscle very easily. And Kafas just tend to have like just extra body fat on them naturally. And then when it's imbalanced, it can turn into obesity. So um, so as we know, some of us just naturally gain weight more easily. And for others of us, we don't. Um, and that has to do with how much kapha you have in your prakriti, but also your lifestyle. If you get a kapha imbalance that you're not taking care of yourself, you're eating too much, you're not exercising, you're not moving, you can easily get a kapha imbalance, though that's not the constitution you are born with. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. Yeah. That's interesting. So, yeah, because a lot of people just think, oh, I'm overweight. I must be just a cough. And it's like, well, you might have a cough imbalance now, but that does not necessarily mean you were 
born that way. I like to say, look at how you were as a kid. As a kid, if you like, for me as a kid, I was naturally overweight. I naturally was like, like just lazy. I wanted to like sit around and like do art projects. That was so cough of me. But I changed my diet and my lifestyle, and now I'm probably the the least cough out of all of them. But I have to pay particular attention because if I don't exercise and watch what I'm eating, I can easily slip back into that. It just means I have to put more work in that area of my life than maybe someone who's born with a very pitta body wouldn't have to worry about gaining weight as much, but they'd have to worry about other things. So we all are just born with this unique deck of cards and we're going through life with that deck in mind. Yeah. And I found it really fascinating. I did my body results and came back 50% vata and 50% kapha. And that that split was interesting to me, but yeah, it really does show you the areas that you need to be a little bit more conscious of and, and why you would obviously have, I guess, you know, I always refer it to as my toolkit of things that I really commit to or prioritize from a health and food and exercise and, and mindset point of view so that you do stay in balance. For sure. Yeah. And and also, like a lot of people get confused with like, okay, well what, well, what if I'm two? And I always say, find the element that's missing. So if you are vata and kapha, so vata is the air and kapha is the earth. So what you're missing in your body is maybe more of the heat and the fire, at the maybe at the moment. So maybe what you need more of is the stimulating foods and the spices and warm things and probably what you need to stay away from is too much raw food. And for coffees, they need to stay away from excess carbs, dairy, um, anything that's cold and creamy like yogurts and things like that. Even too much oil and fats would not be a good idea for kapha. So staying away from either extremes and incorporating more warming foods because what you're lower in in your body is pitta. Whereas if you are a vata pitta in your body, what you're lower in is kapha, you need more grounding foods. If you're pitta kapha, what you're missing is air. So what you need is more airy foods. So you're always fine tuning of what you're missing so your body can be balanced. Right. So is it like a goal to set that you should be fairly equal of all three across mind and across body? You, I don't think anyone is like totally equal. Like it's very rare for someone to be like tri-doshic. A lot of people think they are because they can, we all are all of the doshas. You know, it's like with astrology, we can all relate to all of the signs. There's just certain ones that we're higher in. So it's not the goal to be like perfect in, in all ways, but just to not have imbalances. If you are suffering from any imbalance, that's what you address. But if you don't have any imbalance, you can just continue on living this tridoshic lifestyle. Like in India, there isn't a set meal for every person in the family. Like I've lived with Ayurvedic doctors and it's not like everyone's like, here's your pitta meal, here's your kapha meal. Mm. They create tridoshic meals, which just avoid the things that will imbalance someone. So they don't have the raw foods for vatas. They don't have a lot of the pungent foods for pittas and they don't do the dairy and stuff for coffee so it just works for everyone so i think a lot of people when they hear about ayurveda they're like oh my god i have to like make my own meals for everything for my dosha when it's really not not that way there's so many other things that we can do just besides food that will bring our dosha into balance i think that's a really important point though because you don't want to turn this into another you know, extremism, especially in the health and nutrition space. But yes. it's more about probably that fine tuning, as you say, like small adjustments, you know, whether it's the same meal but a slightly different variation for 
you based on where you're out of balance at the moment. Exactly. Like there's so many things that you could do. For example, like let's say you don't want to cook with onions. A lot of people are like, how is that possible? But with different mustard seeds or fennel seeds or even using a fennel um, bulb as your onion, you can just make that and create the same thing. It will taste a little bit differently, but it will still have that same aroma and it and it works for the pitta as well. Or instead of garlic in India, they use a spice called asafoetida, which is very still pungent tasting, but it doesn't imbalance pitta it's not an alien vegetable so there's always things that you can do to to make it work for everyone and again it's like for a pitta doesn't mean you can never have onion or garlic again but if you're eating garlic with everything every day then maybe that's not the right direction but if it's in a a meal they use one garlic bulb for a meal for four people i think you'll be okay yeah exactly Cool. So that's, yeah, that's fascinating to me. Um, what I wanted to kind of get a little bit more clarity around is obviously we've got like an online quiz, which um, I spoke about in the intro, but we'll also put in the show notes for those that can go to your website and fill out that online quiz to find out their mind body types. Mm-hmm. But what other sort of testing is done in um, Ayurveda and, you know, what do you see as, the best way to sort of help someone identify what their mind type is and what their body type is. Yeah. So there are quite extensive quizzes you can do. Like the one on my website is 12 questions. It's just giving you a very surface level thing. So there's very immersive tests that you can do. You know, Chopra Center, I think has one on, on theirs. And if you visit an Ayurvedic practitioner, you know, like with my students, I give them like a six page questionnaire to fill out. Um, so that would be a good way. Also, if you visit an Ayurvedic practitioner, um, we're trained to take pulses. So in the pulse, we can see what is the imbalance going on at the moment. Is it more vata, pitta, kapha, just from the rhythms of the pulse. Mm -hmm. Um, Also through the tongue, you can see where the imbalances are, even from, you know, we all have white coating, but the the little tint of your white coating can tell me what imbalance is going on or is your tongue red? What size is your tongue? How wet is your tongue? All of these things will let us know. And and in Chinese medicine now, that's like the main way that they test things too. So in your body, you know, in the shape of your face, I can see a lot of what someone's prakriti is just from the shape of their face. Vatas tend to, so prakriti is the natural born constitution. So people with vata tend to have more long faces, like high cheekbones, um, things like that, more angular. Pittas tend to have like the strong jawline, like I think of um, an Angelina Jolie type face or a Brad Pitt, very pitta, you see even the testosterone in there. And then coffers tend to have more round faces, youthful type faces, like a Miranda Kerr would have a very kapha like face or opera, for example. So from the face, you can, you can do a lot of reading. So there's, there's, many different ways, but I think the easiest for people is to take the quiz. You can get my book. I have an extent, oh, I have a very extensive quiz in the book too. Um, and that's just a really good way. It's a, it's a fun thing to assess. And once you start to get a hang of it, you're able to be like, oh, my mom is so this and my dad is like that. And it's, it's just cool to know. It's so interesting. Like since I came across your work and have been, you know, doing a little bit more research for my own personal interest and 
obviously um, then in preparation for the podcast, I've started like diagnosing my husband and diagnosing is the wrong word, but I've started to be like, oh yeah, he's out of balance there and this is what he's doing. And I can imagine that you probably do that as you walk down the street and all day, every day. Oh my God. Yeah. People are like telling me about the relationship problems. I'm like, it's because he's so pitta and you're so vata that you're not seeing eye to eye, but it's amazing. It's like, once you know about it, it's like, you can just see the world in these elemental frame framework that you never could have before. And it helps you see things in a much um, deeper way. Yeah. I love it. I wanted to tie in a topic about, or a chat about the, I guess, how to be quite intuitive with this approach because obviously I know you're all about this with really trying to modernise Ayurveda for our generation, which, again, really resonates with me. Um, I'm just going through my results and looking at, so just quickly again, my, you know, my pitta mind and I found myself, you know, stepping away from you know, triathlon and high-intensity exercise and I've been doing a lot more yoga and beach walks. Um, and then as I touched on as well, I've got 0% pitta in my body. Um, but I have been adding more warming foods, um, curries, spices. I've even started to eat like slightly more, um, like some vegetarian based meals because I was eating like a lot of meat. So I just wonder if there is some, some, some thoughts that you could provide us with around that listening to your body, like you say, and being a little bit intuitive and then finding a really great way to integrate this into maybe what you're already doing so you're not having to do like a complete 180. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Mm. So I think a lot of a lot of us, when we become healthy, we go right into meal prepping because it's just an easy way and it, and it works. But what happens a lot of times is we are eating based off of like, what our calculations are, what, you know, we wanted to eat, whereas we're not really listening to our body. So I think it's good to meal prep, but still allow that flexibility to maybe use those ingredients in different ways. So it's not just like, these are the foods I eat. I eat salmon with one fourth of an avocado and broccoli and day in and day out. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe have those things available for you. And then, you know, maybe one day you're just kind of craving like, can you make that same quinoa into a soup? Maybe one day you want something just like alkalizing and cooling and maybe you can turn those vegetables that were going to be a curry into like a chopped salad. So I think just actually asking yourself what you want to eat before eating is a game changer. It's something we don't think of. We're like, oh, well, what should I eat? What does this book say I should eat? What does that say I should eat? Don't even look at the dosha list. Just ask yourself like what actually sounds like it will bring my body more into balance. And sometimes what we want to eat is not that thing that's going to bring us into balance. So I think it's really important to to add that. Maybe, you know, sometimes you want chocolate, but really it's like, okay, maybe I just had something that was really cooling. Like I just ate fish and salad that's really cooling. And the reason I'm craving chocolate is because my body is cold from within. So maybe I can have some turmeric tea with ginger and I can still have a little bit of chocolate, but let me address the real issue, which is why am I cold right now? You know? So it's like literally having that conversation with your body and being like, Hey, I'm here for you. I'll give you what you want. Let's just start communicating better. Mm, yeah. I love that. I think that's a really good way to step away from obviously calorie counting and becoming mm-hmm. quite restrictive as well as when it comes to exercise, you know, it's really easy to put yourself in a bit of a box and, 
you know, try to force yourself to really love something. Like, for example, I had a client who um, has been doing a lot of triathlons and just not enjoying it and feeling like it's a chore and probably like ignoring those thoughts for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, then they're there for a reason. And if you can tap into that, you can obviously make some small changes in your life. And, and you know, it might seem quite small, but it has such a big flow on effect every area of your life. If you just tap into what your body's telling you, you need at that point in time. For sure. I mean, I see so many people burn themselves out through exercise and, you know, our lifestyles are so stressful as it is. And then on top of a stressful day, then you go stress yourself out, like trying to train for this triathlon, which alone is exhausting. Now, when do our bodies have a chance to nourish? And most of us are under sleeping on top of that. So our exercise could be a really good way to actually fill us up rather than deplete us. So I like to say, like, how do you feel when you walk out of that exercise? Do you feel more full of energy or do you feel like I can't walk right now? And if it's the latter, that's probably not what you need. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. Awesome. I've learned so much from you. It's been fascinating. I'm going to go and try and balance out a few things myself personally. Um, I'd love to give you the space to share anything else that you wanted to, but absolutely please direct us to more information about your site, your podcast and your new book coming out later this year. Yeah. So um, thank you so much for interviewing me. It was such a blast and definitely keep me posted on how it goes. And my book is called The Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda. It's available on Amazon or um, I'm not sure what that main Australian bookseller is, but I know it's on that. If you just look up Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, you'll find it. My website is IamSaharaRose.com. S-A-H-A-R-A. And you can find my quiz there to assess your dosha. I have lots of free gifts of dosha cheat sheets and all of those fun little Ayurvedic things on my website as well. And I have a 12-week program which shows you step-by-step how to integrate Ayurveda in your life. And my podcast is The Highest Self Podcast. So I would love to hear from you guys and definitely come visit you guys in Australia too. Oh, amazing. You absolutely must. I've got um, The Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda on the way from Amazon at the moment. So I'm looking forward to diving into that. Um, Oh, great. With my crew more once I, yeah, once I. And we can give some away. Let's give some away to the listeners too. We can do it on your Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. That's a great idea. I'll chat to you about that off air. Um, But yeah, really also looking forward to Eat Feel Fresh, which is coming out in October 2018. So, Sahara, it was so awesome to have you on the show. Thanks for your knowledge and your passion and for your time today and hope to connect again soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.